everyone, and welcome to Darker Days number 24. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Mark and Chris. How are the two of you? Doing great. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I'm just uh, coming from the pub with uh, my part of my gaming group, actually, so pretty good. Oh, cool. Excellent. Cool. Outstanding. Yeah, that's why you were swearing so much in the pre-show. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Half a pint of shandy, and he's out of control. Uh, well... <laughs> Just to just to start things off, uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be pretty serious for a second because, you know, darker days. Our schedule's been a little dodgy lately. Haven't had too many episodes, and you know, I was blaming it on the fact that I was working on my third dot in science, but uh, that's actually not <laughs> true. Uh, what was really going on is um, I was cheating on the world of darkness. You, you swine. Ooh. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. I was having an affair with Battletech. Oh, God. Battletech? <laughs> have you... Do you listen to... This is where I have to name drop. An actually pretty good uh, podcast, actually, for guys to listen to. Um, the Fear the Boot one as well. There's one of the guys on there is pretty big into his Battletech as well. Mm. So I listen to it sometimes. But yeah. uh, I just... I gotta say... White Wolf, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> or or maybe maybe it's actually Catalyst, because, uh, you know, it's going to be a little snipe at White Wolf here, but they release errata, and they fix their books, so the next print run isn't going to have the same errors. They fix their PDFs. It's so Ooh. nice. It's so mm-hmm. nice. Please, I White Wolf. I Games Workshop could do that as well. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Well, Games Workshop, uh, they did fix the Dark Elf book for 6th edition, so so they did that 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a well, long running information on that thing, but that's another day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so well, you've, been, you've been drawn away from White Wolf for a bit. Well, for a little bit. But here's what actually happened this week. I walked into the local game store because I wanted to pick up a new battle mech, get a miniature. Turns out they didn't have any good ones. Uh, there were a bunch of like lame Solaris 7, like silly battle mechs. And then I kind of walked over to the RPG section and they had all these new used books. And I was looking and I saw this, this great new game that I've never, I've never owned before called Werewolf the Apocalypse. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. That's supposed to be pretty rad, man. Yeah, I picked it up. It's totally sweet. Excellent. <laughs> Which edition? Uh, second edition. Oh, nice. Uh, good. With the, with the holes in the cover. Cool. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I've been uh, digging into that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much what I've been doing. How about you guys? Well, infidelity is must be in the air. I'm still running a mage on Skype um, when when time permits. Uh, but next week, I'm starting another series of primetime adventures uh, with a Tuesday night group. And after that, I'm going to get to run Torg. <laughs> Sorry. Torg. Been... Oh my god, I can't wait! I'm that's, so excited. That's Weg D6 system, right? No, D20. Or, but, yeah. D20. Oh right, okay. Because I mean, the last time I heard about Torg was when I played Star Wars Second Edition Revised Bucket Load of D6. Right, well, it's that old, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the best version of Star Wars, if I'm to say anything about Star Wars. But anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, at the end of it, they said uh, maybe after that you can run Werewolf. So, uh, yeah, Werewolf's getting a lot of love, so that might, that might be fun. But, very cool. Yeah, very cool. mainly mainly talk. I'm just geeking out about that, so, yeah. What about you, Chris? 
Ooh, um, in the last week, um, last not this Monday, but the Monday before, uh, I finished my Changeling uh, Venice Chronicle, so that came to a conclusion, leaving plenty of plot hooks open, plenty of plot hooks closed, and players certainly frustrated for certain NPCs they wanted to kill, but realized, well, he might be a nice person, but I'm not no, too no, no. sure yet. Um <laughs> And so I'm now playing, um, I'm now running a Chronicle of Exalted, which I've tried running twice previously, but had, you know, gaming groups fall apart. So um, it's good to play Exalted. It pushes you to write plots in a different way than you would do for a modern setting. Because, of course, you know, investigation skills mean nothing when you can't actually look at fingerprints. So it's, Mm. um, I find it a bit of a dry run for um, writing plots of things like, uh, again, say, something like Vampire the Dark Ages or Requiem for Rome or, say, maybe a Tudor Age period um, Mage Chronicle or Mage just one shot. Um, so I've got various ideas based off that. But uh, Exalted's cool, second edition. It's, um, you know, filled with dice and, and people wanting to quote their favorite anime series. Um <laughs> <laughs> Did you say Mage the Tudors? Um, yeah, I've thought because um, you know I run uh, I've run in the past. My vampire setting is set in Manchester, and so I'm yes. hoping to run. It's still in my head, and it's on the books. Once I get the Changeling ebook finished, um, to start sorting out my Mage setting for Manchester, and that of course allows me to tie in historical things that have occurred with the fact that uh, the great astrologer occultist John Dee who uh, oh, yes. yeah. was for Queen Elizabeth the first you know he was at one point in Manchester as the head of the college there so yeah there's which college of, um well no just a, a church college so you oh, know okay, he's right. head of like a of you know a group uh, kind of like a an order there at the time I thought it'd be kind of cool to do mage during the um during the Tudor period and it happens that uh, a one-shot game is being organized right now, and we have four options, and the other person that's going to run it is put forward an option, and one of these is kind of wizards during the Tudor period. So we may or may not use mage, but it's um, it's nice to have someone run something to act as a brain candy to uh, for mage for me. Of course, the Tudor's got such a, has had such a lot of airplay over here with the TV show oh, running for a couple yeah. of years. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Mage Sorcerer's Crusade like around that time? I thought it was a Renaissance period. It's early years. Um, uh, you can capture the Tudor period with its earlier years, yeah. But uh, it tends mm-hmm. to normally be a little bit later than that. But that yeah, might be gotcha. some good source material there. Cool. Actually, Chris, could you uh, kind of talk about your changeling and vampire projects that you've been working on? Because uh, we've had you on a couple times and haven't really asked about that. In in what way? I mean, I'm I'm happy to answer whatever questions you guys have got. Really, I, I mean, just I just gave you the floor to pimp your stuff. Come on, go well, for okay. it. Well, um, okay. So <laughs> basically, the Manchester setting for Vampire that I've developed has been was born out of um, Vampire the Masquerade um, back in the days when they brought out things like. Uh, was it Gilded Cage and a few of the later source books that were really kind of explaining how, you know, elders uh, worked and how you would live your life over numerous decades and influence people. 
And from that, I really thought about uh, how different groups within the clans worked. Because one of the things that didn't work for me too well was like, oh yeah, okay, you're embraced into a clan. And by default, you're part of the Camarilla. And so it's more interesting the the politics of how the Camarilla worked internally. And then by the time I'd actually thought out what I might run for it, Requiem came out, of course. <laughs> and, you know, bye-bye, old world of darkness. And Requiem was quite refreshing because it allowed you to develop a setting where characters could be members of multiple covenants. You know, you're a Carthian yet you believe in the doctrine of, you know, the Testament of Longinus. So um, out of that, I retrofitted my Manchester setting a lot and ended up what, with what I have now, which is um, an ongoing uh, political story where uh, the current coterie has one person who played in the previous Chronicle, and the game has has uh, escalated from a very coterie-driven, you know, a coterie gets employed by some elder to go, do this, I want you to help me in my election campaign because I'm a Carthian and I want to be the new prefect of the Carthians, so I need to be elected and you're going to help me do it. And that was mainly what the plot of the first chronicle is. And now in the second chronicle, the one of the characters is back with a new coterie uh, simply because we've got new players and um, the aim for that is to up the game so previously where that, that one player was part of a coterie, they're now leading a coterie for their own political game as they become one of the harpies of the city and where we focus mainly on the uh, political intrigue of the Carthians where it was to do with you know they have a a political system where you have e where the city has a board of representatives, one seat for each clan, one seat for each uh, covenant, and various politics to do with well, the Ordo Draco were banned from votes and so forth. Um, the game now focuses on the uh, the coterie are operating at a higher level, so they're not only dealing with problems from the Carthians, but um, the next story I'm writing that I'm, I've written up is to do with them going to a Lancaster Sanctum Mass. Yeah, Vampire is pretty close to my heart and close to a lot of the players' hearts because it's just political fun. Well, I was particularly drawn to your write-ups in that because of Manchester. Um, I have my, my mage game traditionally has, has been set there. The current one is in London, actually, but all the others were set in Manchester. Um, well, primarily because I was, uh, I was at university there, so you can... You know, well, same here. <laughs> yeah. Is the Changeling one set in a, similarly in somewhere that you've got personal experience with, or is that more... Uh, more drawn from uh, there, from imagination. Uh, Changeling's set in Venice, where I've been to twice. I um, went there for a with my um, wife when we were just only just going out, um, and we went to a masquerade ball there. Oh yeah, I've seen those and, carnival pictures. That's right. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and then we got engaged there. So the year after, we got married there and took our close family there because taking everyone would be insane. <laughs> um, so I've. You know, I've read quite a bit on, on Venice, and I've uh, got the book and the DVD to Francesco de Mosto's Venice, which was a BBC series, which I highly recommend, because Francesco de Mosto is a brilliant historian um, and presenter of history in general. And so well, I've I've kind of, I haven't like, seen that. It's, a, it's awesome. He's got one which uh, covers Italy, and he's got one which covers the Adriatic as well. So he talks about kind of like how... 
Venice and Italy influences the area around it. He's also got a cookery book of all things, but, you know, these are Italians. They're great. Um, and so, you know, Venice is just like laden with history more so than anywhere else in the world. And as Byron put it, it's the fairy tale city. So it made sense to set Changeling there. And um, Changeling uh, there, I for my own uh, setting, which, uh, you know, I've got ready, to, almost ready to let out as an ebook for people to use it focuses on the idea of another court called the court of carnival so i've got some rules for the mantle for it and its own political systems and the idea that venice is all about masks obviously yeah. so the the freehold has such power over carnival that it's able to hide itself from the true fae so when the true fae oh. come into the city they can't even see changelings because of the mask but that's the very idea of carnival is of sacrifice because the word carnival it comes from possibly the root words of farewell to the flesh. So mm. they have so the, the the freehold has to make a great sacrifice at some point in order to have this amazing defence against the true fae. So even though say the true fae's you know privateers and loyalists are able to see other changelings in the city, the true fae themselves have very little hold over the city because of the the magnitude of the pledge that's been made. And so the seasonal courts become houses; they become royal houses within the setting. And the politics are whether you know whether the 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 houses want to keep carnival in power or remove it and reinstate the um, the seasonal rule, which is similar to, say, how the Miami setting is, is put out in Changeling the Lost, where you've got summer is always in control. Um, yeah, yeah. And so we finished that with a, a plot line with a true fae that was um, making use of the bloodline of a, of a forger of, paint, of paintings. Um, and it was all to do with the creation of a clock made of bones, and uh, he was the the true fae was making gateways through paint these two paintings that were linked to uh, the painter Titian, who was a, a famous painter in Venice. And eventually, the characters worked out what was going on. There were some quite hefty uh, um, puzzles to be sorted out. And when I say puzzles, they're more kind of like uh, more like riddles that. I, the one of the things I like doing in the games is rewarding the players for their own intelligence, and I, I don't like to let the rules. I like I like the rule. Obviously, you need the rules to help them through it, but I also do like to reward players for their own ingenuity as yeah. a group because it, it it makes them feel really invested in the game. Like, oh, I solved that puzzle. I know why this bastard's killing everyone. Let's use that and have the initiative and take them all out before they get the chance and so uh, it's one of these things like if, if you've ever used puzzles within games you know do you let the character roll or do you let the player of the character try and solve it on their own and it's about how to balance that reward and the plot would have the plot of my game would have carried on as it would have but if the, depending upon how quickly they would have solved this mystery they could have as um, as protagonists um, influence the plot sooner um, and they did. They they realised you know what was going on. They knew where they needed to go, what type of thing they were dealing with, and so they had the issue with them was really how to really stop this true fate coming into their reality. Um, Excellent. 
that it's important that the players have that agency and that that degree of input and control into the game, and uh, and taking that away from the you know taking it away from dice rolls a little bit can only serve to increase that. I think so. That sounds really good. And Venice, of course, is a fantastic setting. So yeah. Oh it's, it's yeah, I mean, my plan is to if I'm, I plan to write one or two paragraphs for each of the other supernaturals. You know that could inhabit Venice because Venice mm-hmm. turns up quite heavily in uh, old school. You know, Vampire the Masquerade with um, the Fourth Crusade Giovanni, in Dark yeah. Ages, with you know, Nazis at the head of the uh, cult of Cain and so forth. Yeah. So, um, my idea with Venice in its current setting is because when you've been there, you realise Venice is a tiny place, really. It's you not can walk big, no. across. I mean, we spent most, myself and my wife spent most time walking across it. You see most stuff mm. by walking rather than taking a boat down the Grand Canal. So um, I don't imagine vampires would really want to live there because it'd be bloody obvious if you start killing people and, and draining of blood. So I like the idea of um, introducing vampires as being on the mainland and being given kind of like a pass, being given a pledge by the changelings. Like, okay, you're allowed on the mainland because... And you know they get something in return. And of course, mages would go to to Venice because it has certain magics related to it. There are yeah. so many ghost stories and tales to do with, say, Vivaldi and things to do with the Island of the Dead called San Michele or uh, Paveglia, which you yourself spoke about ages ago yeah. on the Secret Frequencies. So mm-hmm. there's lots lot to do with that. Um, and I think I might look into it because I introduced it as because I only just bought the books. Um, Geist and Book of the Dead, I did a changing story where they went into the underworld and went into the underworld reflection of Paveglia. Oh, so nice. I do a, I, yeah, that was a, that was a, yeah, I don't think you're going to kill him. He's a terror boy. I think you should run. Um, and the brilliant thing that, the brilliant thing that came from that was when one of the players go, well, if we're in the underworld and we I've just felt the weird course through me. And I'm not too sure reason why. Does that mean we're tied to the very essence of death? Does that mean the Fae are tied to death? And when I heard that, I was like, you are spot on. And I'm not going to tell you you're spot on, but that's brilliant. I'm glad you had that level of insight suddenly because that's just said to you, we can kill these bastards. We can take the Fae out. And brilliant. Yeah. So I would say again, Book of the Dead to anyone if you've not picked it up. That's a an absolutely awesome book with stuff for mage, and I think there's an entire discipline set for vampires to consume ghosts. So always good. Yeah. So that's basically yeah. it. I'm I'm actually playing with something that isn't World of Darkness. I'm playing with Exalted for Christ's sake. <laughs> nice one. All right, and with that, uh, we've got a pretty pretty in-depth episode this time so i guess we'll uh, head over to the network news so uh mirage arcana released episode number 26 last week and uh it's about building better villains and it goes through it talks about uh, different inspiration that the uh, hosts have had for their villains and uh there's also a very nice segment about how to use music and soundtracks in your games so uh, i'd highly recommend it it's actually a really useful episode for any kind of role-playing game cool i haven't listened to that one yet it, it downloaded onto my uh, uh went out the other day um but i use music all the time in my game so i have to check that out it's worth a listen cool yeah i i queue up i have um i don't cue music for particular points in my game but i have um 
I have soundtracks put together in um, I kind of cue them in thirds like you know the first third is kind of backgroundy music and as it goes forward it, it has a, an, a feeling of escalation of, of tension so that's the way I make use of music in games um, Mike do you make use of music in the same way or do you cue it up or do you just put something on in the background the one time I wanted to use music in my game, I was running uh, actually Legend of the Five Rings using the storyteller system, the old storyteller system. And yeah. I put some music on, and then my friend was like, that's crap, turn that off. And he popped in his own CD with like some punk rock. Um, so it didn't really work oh, out that well that time. <laughs> um, but surprise, surprise, I'm thinking about Werewolf, the Apocalypse right now. And um, yeah. I kind of want to use, uh, if anyone's familiar with the game, Mech Warrior 2, the uh, Battletech game, has very interesting tribal kind of music in the background. It's really well done. Um, Mech Warrior 2 Mercenaries, it would have been called, I think. Yeah. Uh, there's there's actually three. There's Mech Warrior 2, Mech Warrior 2 Ghost Bears Legacy, and Mech Warrior 2 Mercenaries. I'd yeah, I remember the first one. Mercenaries. Yeah, but that's cool music. And I'd probably use that, um, just play the quick, like, 90-second track to kind of, like, put people... Uh, the mood of what's to come. And uh, so one track might be like, oh, there's going to be a fight like in the woods or like an industrial fight. Uh, or perhaps there's going to be something uh, spiritual, mysterious happening in the next scene. Uh, that's kind of how I'd use it. Okay, cool. I would highly recommend for you, based upon that, um, look at a a, uh, a band or an act. I, don't, I guess an act is a better way to uh, describe it, called um, Sephiroth. Um, and again, they're they're more dark ambient music, so there's no there's no lyrics. Um, and again, it's very tribal. And I make use of that from anything from vampire uh, to playing anything sci-fi wise, because it's just it gives you the sense of there's something some unspeakable primal evil. Actually, well, I kind of use, I do a bit of a combination with uh, individual tracks for specific things, and also more more general background music. Um, so I'm kind of somewhere between between the two of you, I think, on that. Very cool. I've got a few playlists um, posted up on my own gaming blog anyway. So, you know, again, you know, post, I'll, I'll link that anyway. So you guys and everyone else can have a look and see what they want to take a pick of. Excellent. Sounds good. And with that, let's move over to White Wolf News. <laughs> Now, we haven't done this in a while. Uh, last time was episode 22, which was back in February. Uh, so White Wolf has put out quite a bit of stuff. And uh, I'm actually going to uh, switch it up right now because we're going to save the big news for last. And we're going we're to start off with uh, the Dance Macabre. And Chris, you've been uh, reading that, you said. Yeah, I had a, I've had a, um, a read of maybe the first third or so. Um, the things that strike me is... Um, Obviously, the extra bits of gameplay adds. It adds the idea of the different tiers, which were something that they introduced back in um, Hunter and reinforced in other games such as Geist. And so in Vampire, they add the idea of these higher level of gameplay where you've got these world-spanning conspiracies, which are really just a reflection of the covenants already in, in Requiem. And they're pretty cool because uh, they, they, I guess for, for people, it, it takes Requiem 
back towards a certain level of gameplay that's more akin to uh, Vampire Masquerade. The other thing that I would say that's great about the game is it it gives a, another discussion of the clans themselves and how to make use of them and what their rec room is. And in particular, I noticed they had the um, these masquerade and requiem descriptors for your character. So it, it's almost like saying, "What is?" So in I believe in Hunter, they have your profession. Is that right? Uh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So they have the equivalent for a character's requiem and a character's masquerade. So it represents what face do you present humanity. So it's almost a profession. You go, oh, I'm an artiste, or I'm a uh, a politician and then it has the role that you perform within your requiem which is your life with the vampire so are you an investigator or an occultist or uh, some sort of you know investigator and they're great systems because um, at first glance if anything they just help players that aren't too sure where their where their characters should fit into the game it reinforces certain roles certain stereotypes or archetypes that they can play and so you've got a lot to work with and guidelines on how to make better characters really so all in all um Dark Spikar is pretty awesome actually um and that's even at not having read it all there's just like going through it there's so much to uh to mine for ideas do you think that they're going to be uh, starting to put out the Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 uh, design for pretty much all the games? Or do they just want to expand it to Vampire in this case? I would say having something in, of this nature for... Um, I don't know whether Werewolf would be the appropriate one, because they've had the Werewolf Chronicles guide that's come out in the series recently. But I would say for Mage it would be particularly helpful. I can't remember how it kind of corresponds with the Mage Chronicles guide, but the idea of just looking into how each of these tiers works is rather useful because, again, it, it allows you to focus the game in different ways because it, as much as fun as it is to play a new character, it's also fun playing a character that has a ton of experience behind them and a, and a history and you know your the issues you're looking at are, are far larger. So... I think it'd be useful for pretty much every game. Guys, obviously not, because it has its own system for dealing with tears. Changeling, I wouldn't say it would be as much use. May, definitely Mage, though, an insight into well, tears. Well, there is some coverage of that in the Mage Chronicler's Guide. Uh, hmm. Mage, you know, generally has had a, had the, the tier system inbuilt from the word go, you know, from the level of the Cabal to the Concilium up to the, the, the world-spanning orders and certainly the ministries of the Seers of the Throne. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but but seeing it explicitly addressed on those terms, I think, is um, uh, it can only be a good thing. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you guys are going to have to wait until the uh, Promethean rapid fire from ideas for Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3... Promethean oh. created. Tier 3 Prometheans, <laughs> What the hell is a Tier 3 Promethean? I've already got the idea. You guys are going to have to listen to it. <laughs> okay, alright. Alright, but but moving on, uh, Mark, you've checked out uh, Mage Noir, correct? Yeah, I had a look at that. Um, to be honest, when, when they announced it, you know, it was, there was we heard there was going to be some more uh, books for Mage the Awakening. I couldn't wait. And then Mage Noir, I thought, uh, oh, okay. Uh, I'm not a big fan of noir, you know. All right, I'll look at it. Uh, and actually, it's really, really good. I didn't really get a, a proper understanding of what the setting would be until it occurred to me that this is 
the period of well the latter years of World War Two and the and the, the years immediately following it. So you put it in that context, and immediately you have a ton of story opportunities there. Um, the book itself uh, is not it's not huge; it's like eighty odd pages. Um, but it's, uh, there's all sorts of good stuff in there, uh, as you might expect. Uh, solid coverage of characters who have fought in the war for, or fighting in the war and have just fought. Um, and by the way, for Ascension players, um, you guys will know that that's a very pivotal pivotal time for the traditions, the technocracy and the Nefandi. So it's uh, worth looking at, um, even if you're not an Awakening player. There's a new legacy in there, all about keeping magic hidden, uh, which ties into you know some of the more modern... Uh, uh, groups in, in the world of darkness. There's a pretty disturbing look at the atomic bomb, uh, and a couple of really interesting uh, ways of using that in your game. I was going to say, what do they do with nukes in it? Because, I mean, well, it's a if a pivotal point with regard to science, let alone regard to politics hmm. and hmm. Culture, society. I mean, society and, I mean, look at the. You only have. I'm, I'm still reading through the Scissor Throne book. I mean, every day I'm still on my smartphone scrolling through pdf and the scissors of the throne are a scary organization and i can imagine that the end of world war ii sets such great upheaval for them because it's the end of belief in certain things and the start of belief in other things like you know with regard to the paternoster and um uh, the unifiers and so forth it's interesting you mention them because uh, Mage Noir makes it very explicit. It says the atomic bomb is not the work of the Seers of the Throne, uh, and actually there's a good, a good solid sidebar, good half page ded- uh, dedicated to that subject. But uh, I won't spoil it for people who've not got the book, so it's, that's worth checking out for that alone. Wow, um, I now need it. <laughs> <laughs> um, even cooler than that, there's an awakened version of Operation Paperclip. Um, called Operation Oracle. Uh, Operation Paperclip, for those who don't know, was uh, an operation at the end of the war when certain Nazi scientists were given, um, for want of a better word, refuge uh, in uh, in allied countries Mm. in return for them sharing their knowledge and their their expertise. So Operation Oracle is the mage version of that, uh, where mages who were uh, on the losing side have been uh, plucked away from the jaws of defeat and are now going about their business under different auspices. Hmm. Wow. There's a, yeah, lots of fun. Um, there's a classic <laughs> l- classic look at the hard-boiled noir stories, you know, your Maltese, Falcon, Raymond Chandler kind of thing, uh, which is what I expected the whole book to be about. And I was actually you know, pleasantly surprised to see that it's, you know, it's it's there, of course, um, but it's not doesn't overwhelm the rest of the material in there. And there's a short adventure, like I think five-scene uh, SAS-style adventure, and a sample cabal at the end who you could plug into your own games. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, pleasantly surprised. Um you know, I go for the more esoteric angle on Mage, Astral Realms, and Secrets of the Ruined Temple, and those kind of things are my favorite books. Uh, but Mage Noir, no, I can recommend it, um, and especially if you if you want to have a game that's tied closely to real world antics and specifically set in the period after the Second World War, uh, this is the one to go to. Yeah, good stuff. Awesome, awesome. And of course, uh, Volume Three of the Forsaken Chroniclers Guide came out, and uh, I haven't read it yet. But uh, there's quite a bit of information about it uh, in our previous episode where we interviewed David Hill. And I just wanted to uh, say something we didn't bring up was uh, just how useful it is for Werewolf the Apocalypse. Because, surprise, surprise, I've been thinking about that game quite a bit lately. Um, and there's definitely some ideas you can, uh, can steal from that. So I'll be, yeah, uh, cool. I'll be combing it for, for such ideas in the future. 
Okay, well, we haven't done any 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 full-on reviews in a few shows, so maybe we should uh, have a couple of reviews um, thrown your way. Uh, as a couple of mage books, I'd love to give a review to, and maybe if the Chronicles, Chronicles Guide is in good enough shape, we could do some coverage on that too. Well, Mark, you've been promising to do War of the Darkness Gypsies for about the past six months. <laughs> <laughs> I have it almost the, entirely written up, too. I've had some outstandingly good ideas. Look, we, um, we the redeemed... The White Wolf writers deny exists if you listen to their own yeah. podcast. <laughs> you know, we redeemed the Skinner, and we redeemed Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand. Not that it needed redeeming, but we did it anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I've got to set the bar higher and tackle gypsies. Okay. All right, next show, gypsies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, of course, uh, April Fool's joke, Paths of Storytelling, Vampire, I Died Fantastic. to El Diablo Verde. Yeah, me too. I've not played with it. I really haven't. I've had too much other stuff to do. Well, keep away from the wrestler. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about uh, trying to tweet through it and just be like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go do this. How bad could it be? And then next tweet is, oh my god, I'm dead. Yeah, that kind of again. stuff. And uh, for print on demand, uh, they released Gehenna, the uh, the final Vampire the Masquerade source book, as well as Clan Book Ventru, the uh, the revised one. And they're pretty cheap. Uh, it's like twenty one dollars for Gehenna and ten dollars for the Ventru Clan Book. So. It's, it's all, all good. Right, okay. And what are the delivery I mean, costs on that like? Do you know? I think for one book, it's about $4, and then it's like an extra dollar for each book. I don't really remember exactly. But uh, I, really I think I mentioned that in my review of Print on Demand. And they have a printer in England, so yes. the uh, two of you can probably get pretty cheap delivery costs. Cool. Well, is... I have both of those, but um, there's some stuff I wouldn't mind getting hold of. Yeah, that'd be nice. That's good news to me. That's really cool. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> And Where is this printer? I want it. <laughs> uh, go on to go into Drive Through RPG. Uh, click now in print, and then click on White Wolf. They've got twelve no, books I now. Physically, it's physically I, the printer. Where oh, is it? <laughs> I want to be there as people order their books so I can lick them for them. <laughs> oh my! What? This, this book comes pre-licked by Chris from Darker Days. <laughs> okay. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> Vampire and the Masquerade and Werewolf uh, the Apocalypse have had their uh, their comic books released by Moonstone, and these are both uh, PDF and print-on-demand from DriveThruRPG. I would recommend that you don't get the uh, print-on-demand, because it's pretty pricey. It's like $9 for a 48-page color comic. Um, Ouch. Yeah, but the PDF's only two dollars, and I've read all the vampire ones and some of the some of the werewolf. And I'll recommend to you guys definitely, definitely the Nosferatu comic. That's got some really cool images in it. The story itself is not not too like amazing, but uh, I I really liked it, and uh, I I definitely recommend it to people. Uh, the other cool. one is the Lazambra uh, book comic book. Which was written by James Louder, if I remember correctly. And that one's got a very oh, good right. story. It's very interesting. Okay. And the final one is the Lucita. Uh, Lucita as in the, the signature character of the Lazambra clan. Mm. And that one's pretty interesting. Mostly because it, it was definitely written by someone that was familiar with Vampire the Masquerade and references uh, a bunch of the early uh, Chicago source books. Oh wow! Okay, cool. Yep. I never I never checked those out when they came out, so that's uh, that's probably worth taking, giving a look now. Yep. I can't quite remember which one I actually 
bought. It's the one with the uh, vampire that pretends to be a vampire on TV. Is that right? I can't remember which. Was that's... that a Dave story or? No, that's oh, the uh, it's the Toriador one. Uh, uh, it's, it's the oh, sorry, yeah, da- there's me referencing <laughs> Dave, for Christ's sake. Um, yeah, um, yeah, that was an ancient one. I don't know where I've got that. Wow. But yeah, print on demand for comics. Decent. Do you think we need comics for New World of Darkness? I would kind of, I'd like to see something of that form. Would be fun. Yeah. It could be interesting. Um, I know there's an Exalted comic book that came out and that's been selling pretty well on drive through. Um, oh, they're awesome. They're really good. Yeah, the the Moonstone comics were pretty mediocre. Like the uh, the first three are all done by the same guy. He did the Toriador one, which is mediocre. It, it's really just a review of Kindred history. Mm. Um, then he did the Nosferatu one, which I really liked, and then he did the Ventru one, which I it still doesn't make any sense to me. I can't understand what the story was. Okay, right. <laughs> so yeah. And with that, the big announcement, Vampire the Masquerade, 30th anniversary, or, oh god, 20th anniversary. Uh, you know something we don't? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So the world doesn't end at the end of 2012? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, outrageous. I mean, did not see that one coming. Uh, that was uh, fantastic to read about that. I'm hugely excited. Um uh, slightly shocked at the price, but I suppose if it's a once in a once in a blue moon uh, uh, kind of thing, maybe uh, maybe it's something I could reach deep into my pockets for. A hundred dollars for those who don't know. Uh, yeah, I've been very interested in the the open development aspect that they're taking. So they write something up: uh, Justin Achille, Eddie Webb, Russell Bailey, uh, Rich Thomas, all those folks. Uh, they make a little write up, put it online, and see what the fan feedback is. And uh, most of it's been pretty good. Uh, a lot of very good suggestions by people. The only uh, the only thing I don't like about it, my only reservation is that they're using this blog software. So it, you're not really able to get nitty gritty and uh, be able to present like, I don't know, graphs or something. Because I was very interested in the, uh, they're talking about botches and they're trying to yeah, fix yeah. that mechanic. Mm. And I really wanted to like get in there and I couldn't get the equations from the uh from the google doc that they linked to and even if i did i would have no way of easily uh presenting my own findings and and ideas to the developers i found a couple of the blogs wouldn't load for me the first one where they were showing art previews i couldn't get to see any of the pictures Hmm. but uh other, other than that it's an interesting it's a brave approach to take i think um given how internet fandom can be but like you say most of it's been pretty sensible pretty restrained uh, and there's uh, and you know there's been some good insights there. The um, we mentioned this in the pre-show. The way they've tackled the dodge mechanic um, is uh, good to see. Um, what was the conclusion with the dodge? Are they they're kind of taking a route that's similar to they took in Orpheus, was it not? That they is, they kind of bundled it in with oh, athletics, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and added something new. So um, awareness. So they seem to have gone that route. But, um, yeah, awarenesses was in Mage, I think. Uh, but uh, uh, I just I just read the other day it's in, in Vampire too, so it's it's a good good trait to have, really handy, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a way to avoid having to use disciplines or spheres, uh, and you know with the the risks that come uh, come attached to those, but still allows a storyteller to to reveal and drip feed supernatural style information to the to the characters. Hmm. Hmm. 
seems like it's going to be an interesting product. A lot of people have already pre-ordered. They're all really excited about it. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to pick it up myself, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, actually, I do want to bring up that uh, I was doing a little research, and I found a post by by Eddie Webb, and uh, someone asked whether or not this is going to be available after the uh, the limited edition pre-order, which is going on right now. And uh, I'll, I'll quote what he says. Uh, so, quote, To more accurately address your point, though, I think it is extremely unlikely that the pre-order period will be the only way to get the book. Although, obviously, the limited edition nature of the pre-order will probably be unavailable. I'm just not sure what form and at what price point getting the book after pre-order will take. And I don't know if we'll have the answer to that before pre-orders are done. Edit. To be clear, I also don't think the innards of the book will be different at all. The parts in question are how it will be printed and probably what form the cover will take. End Mm. quote. Right. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, that'd be interesting to see. They may, uh, you can, I can see them uh, going for a non-full color version as the as the non-limited version. Yeah. To, to, keep, to keep the price under control. Mm-hmm. With the amount of pages that that, that tome is going to clock in at, at the end, yeah, a non-color version and more than likely non-hardback would be the the general kind of available one. But um, but it makes it makes sense if they've got the print on demand up and running and they they have the files there. There's going to be yeah. people who want to buy it. It's it's a no brainer that they're going to keep it available. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. I mean, for, for me, the interesting thing was uh, when there was a thread that started on RPGNet. Uh, I think it was right after the announcement was made, and I think the title was something like "What do you want to see in in Vampire: The Masquerade 20th Edition?" And I was on the same page as the, as those posters who all said. Mage, twentieth edition. That's that's what we yep. want to see. Yep. <laughs> so I'm going to be buying it probably just to ensure that uh, that they get, they make a mage one in a year or two's time. How much um, out of interest does the the is there a particular time between Vampire twentieth edition to um, their developments of the you know the online game? Because I'm sure that it has to be some of the some of the things that they're that are filtering back into the tabletop must be linked to what they're designing for the online. I mean, as I said, the online game can't be exactly the same thing as you do on tabletop, but there are certain ideas that are evolving and growing. It'll be interesting to to find out what relationships there are between this edition of Vampire, Vampire the Requiem, and eventually the online game. But, you know, depends if they want to talk to us about that. Yeah, I think the online game is probably going to draw more inspiration from uh, from a combination of Requiem and Masquerade rather than this 20th edition of Masquerade is drawing inspiration yeah. from those sources. Because the Masquerade, seems they seem to be pretty keenly trying to stay true to the original mm. um, you know, with all its bells and whistles. Uh, but the um, the online game, they've said, you know, we're, we're going to base it on Masquerade, but we're not going to be limited by that. We're going to draw the best ideas from that, but fold in fresh ideas from... You know, from the new world of darkness, which they're more or less explicitly not doing with the twentieth edition version. Yeah, so I think they'll stand apart to one degree or another. Mm-hmm. I would say the twentieth edition almost feels like a cementation of the of the of the the product itself of the of the the IP, the franchise definitely. of Vampire yeah, the Masquerade, because they've chosen Vampire the Masquerade for the online game for a particular reason, because it's it's better known. But they've not denied that they're taking into the online game certain thoughts and ideas that they've taken from Requiem. And yeah. I mean, it's quite clear in what we we talked about with uh, David Hill, like where you have to consider how 
certain mechanics in a in a tabletop game are completely different when you deal with a LARP and when you deal with a an online uh, multi-user dungeon. So obviously there's a consideration then again about how you deal with hundreds and thousands of people playing online. So yeah, I can see how it ties in with with um, cementing Masquerade as this is what Masquerade is and this is what you kind of getting into with the online game. Yeah, well, we've got a feature on that coming up, uh, actually, later Yay! in the show. <laughs> but um, one thing that didn't get mentioned in that, and I was, was thinking about it the other day, was I thought it would be really kind of amusing to see if we could broadcast an episode of Darker Days uh, live from within the online game. Wow. Like actually go in and have our, have our characters, you know, have characters that set up a radio studio and then broadcast, you know, within the game world. But I don't we know go into radio Plus, studio. We yeah, start exactly. broadcasting. We get staked. <laughs> yeah. Damn. It would be kind of fun to try. It would be. Yeah, that sounds cool. All right. Well, I think we've... Uh... We've done the news portion to death. I mean, that mm. was an intense discussion. So, <laughs> Mark, let's move over to the secret frequency. It's under the stairs. <laughs> oh, see. I love my mom. All right. Well, this episode on the secret frequency is something I've been uh, looking at for a while and decided tonight would be the night to, uh, to bust it out. It's a phenomenon that's not so much creepy as it is downright strange, uh, namely the hum. Now, what is the hum? Well, the hum is a name given to a series of phenomena involving a persistent and invasive, low-frequency humming noise, which is not audible to all people. Hums have been rec- reported in various geographical locations. Among these are the Big Island of Hawaii, um, in Bristol in the UK, Taos, New Mexico, Bondi, Australia, New Zealand and elsewhere. It's a it's a low throbbing sound, apparently. A bit like a distant idling diesel engine. Typically the hum is different to detect with microphones, and its source and nature are hard to localize. And strangely, it's more audible to men than to women. In some cases, the hum is more audible inside buildings. It's often accompanied by vibrations that can be f- felt through the body. Earplugs have no effect on it, and it's often perceived more intensely during the night. To make it even more odd, the hum frequently cannot be picked up with microphones. There are even reports of deaf people being able to hear it, or feel it. For those who've never heard the hum, it can be hard to communicate just how disturbing it is, particularly as it is very hard to record. A recreation of the Taos hum was made for a TV show to demonstrate its effects, for example, and a university doctor did have some success in recording the Auckland hum from New Zealand, and this was shown to peak out at around 56 hertz, uh, which is only 20 hertz above the lower level of human hearing. So, what is it? Well, one hypothesis claims that it's due to colliding ocean waves or a form of low-frequency tinnitus, but some sufferers claim it's not internal, being worse inside their homes and outside. And at the same time, others insist that it is equally bad indoors and outdoors. More mystery is added as some only notice the hum at home, while others hear it everywhere they go. Some reports indicate that it is only made worse by soundproofing, which only serves to decrease other environmental noise, thus making the hum more apparent. People who suffer from both tinnitus and the hum describe them as being qualitatively different. And many hum sufferers can find locations where they do not hear the hum at all. An investigation by a team of scientists in Taos dismissed the possibility that the hum was tinnitus as highly unlikely. 
In some cases, explanations have been found. The Kokomo hum was traced to a pair of fans in a cooling tower at the local Daimler Chrysler casting plant emitting a tone at 36 Hz. Another source was an air compressor intake at the Haynes International plant emitting a 10 Hz tone. And studies at Cambridge's Addenbrooke's Hospital, uh, which is just down the road from me, have stated that two-thirds of these hums are just people focusing on ambient noise. So, what about the other third? In the world of darkness, the hum is most certainly not tinnitus, or ocean waves, or extractor fans, or air conditioning units, or anything stupid like that. No, in the world of darkness, the hum is the sound that the great spirits make when they make war on one another, and the clamor of battle bleeds across the gauntlet. Attempts have been made to map these sounds and discern the war cries of the legions of Umbrood as they clash with one another. There exists, it is said, an order of cutting-edge audiologists, cryptographers, and white noise experts who've been cataloging their discoveries. Just what might they have heard? Or perhaps the hum is the howls of the Neverborn, presaging the last maelstrom that will rack the Shadowlands and wake them from sleep. If the Society of Necronauts from an earlier secret frequency were able to hear these, what strange interpretations would they draw from these sounds? Perhaps these noises are not from the far side of the gauntlet at all. Werewolf the Apocalypse features a race of creatures called the Vujunka, a worm-tated race of subterranean beasts. Could the hum be the sound of their cities, or their incessant tunneling, their strange and unearthly hymns? Why are they only heard in some places? Have these locations been chosen as points of emergence when the Vujunka finally raise their heads to glare at a distant and malevolent sun? And for our New World of Darkness players, Perhaps the hum is indeed the sound of machines, or one machine in particular. What if the hum is the sound of the god machine itself, audible in those places of the world where its work is most needed, or most audible? What else might be lurking in those places where the hum is heard? Are there strange angels tending to the god machine, watching over its eternally churning gears, wielding terrible weapons in its defense? How many of those who hear it have seen them? And if they have, how many can remember the encounter? So next time you hear a peculiar humming in the background, don't check the air conditioning. So what about you guys? You had any thoughts about that? Indeed I do. In Darker Days episode number 25, which isn't even released yet, we interviewed... <laughs> wow! Yeah, yeah. We interviewed oh, Sam Chupp, <laughs> right? And he uh, yes. is one of the original writers of Wraith. And exactly when he starts discussing Wraith, you hear in the background a soft, like... Ooh, ooh. <laughs> a soft hum which is clearly this supernatural occurrence by him talking about about this cursed game he brings up this link to the spirit world excellent oh but right the uh, the world of darkness um <laughs> i i as well was thinking about spirits um but i took a different approach with this uh this humming noise uh, I was figuring that uh, perhaps there's this uh, ancient ability in, in all humans to sense the spirit world, and it comes out in sound, because there's movement, and whenever there's movement, there is sound, even in the spirit mm. world. And in particular, in these certain locations where uh, this humming commonly takes place, that is when that is where mortals uh, most sense a, a large, perhaps, conflict with spirits, or maybe there's a very large spirit there, or perhaps an earthbound or a, a, a Zemitsi Kaldun earth spirit as well, oh, nice, bound yeah. to the land. Yeah, earthbound would be fun. Yeah, definitely. I was going to go with, because um, I've been reading Book of Spirits recently just to help a friend start a, a game. 
Um, and of course, in that it talks about the fact that spirits and the realm of spirits can be contacted via numerous methods. And so maybe the hum is something that could be tapped into by uh, scientists, maybe physicists who are playing about with you know devices which are able to literally tap into the frequency of the universe and the hum is maybe this universal noise, this sound which is to do with the, the grand collapsing wave function of our reality and by tapping oh, cool. into it they can, cr they can mm. manipulate our reality or cross boundaries or draw things over it and um, I mean it's um, I'm sure it, you could tie it in it's, it's very similar what I'm suggesting to um, I think it's in World of Darkness Chicago is it where they talk about um, bell industries and their own um, particle accelerator and how you know you do some badass science and you know you think it's science you're doing but really it's tapping into something more fundamental and supernatural in nature and then something comes over the gauntlet and possesses you um <laughs> like a spiritual version of the cosmic microwave background radiation noise well, no because that that's that's the perfect way to describe it um and it doesn't have to just be related to spirits to do with um the shadow it could be to do with any of the astral realms within uh within mage or perhaps the realm where the Koshilim come from in uh, in Promethean, because we talked about mm. Promethean last episode. Um, that would be actually really cool if the hum was to do with the to precede the appearance of one of those spirits of this fundamental force. Yeah, well, that ties back into the God Machine thing quite nicely. So yeah, Ex cool. exactly. Here's another idea, though. Perhaps this hum, this sound, is actually suppressing something. And uh, for those of you that know physics. If you play back the same exact wave uh, and it clashes with something else, there is no sound. If you were to do that and suppress the sound, what would happen? What would you unleash? Cool. <laughs> so you're almost saying that the 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 the, the hum is uh, the will of the I don't know the exarchs trying to cover up something on a on a global scale with this hu a simple hum. Mm -hmm. Echoes from across the supernal. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Why not? Why not? How about? Um, is there any way? I mean, I mentioned this in um, pre-show with in email with the notes about how it's very similar to another similar event, which is called the Bloop, which is another ultra-low frequency, which uh, I'm just reading occurred in out in the ocean in 1997. And it's, again, it's is creepy, that thing is. God, yes. Re you just need to listen to that thing, and you're just like, yep, something's Clearly. out there. <laughs> Kill it with fire. <laughs> well, there's a bunch of these things. When I was looking into the, uh, into the, into the hum, there's a bunch of this. They listed at the bottom about five or six different peculiar sounds that have been picked up in the ocean. Uh, some of them they reckon are the sound of ice scraping against ice, you know, or scraping against land, echoing up down from Antarctica. But others, the bloop in particular, is like a like hundred times louder than the noise made by a blue whale. Um, and the way that the sound manifests itself, they do believe it to be organic in nature. So I just think, what the hell is this? Uh, and there's a couple of those, a couple of organic sounding noises coming up out of the ocean, which is just, you know, it's a vastly unexplored territory. So... Uh, yeah, ripe, uh, ripe material there for storytellers to uh, go and get their uh, their feet wet. <laughs> so for the main segment uh, of this episode, we have an interview uh, with our our brand new 
World of Darkness online correspondent, Harlequin, uh, Peter from over at wodnews.net, or as I like to call it, Wad News. Wad News, yeah. yeah. We recorded this a little while ago, actually, um, but it's not seen uh, the light of day. Uh, it's been languishing in the vaults for uh, uh, a few weeks. But um, So thanks for your, your patience there, uh, Harlequin. Um, but uh, yeah, here we go. Right now, Mark and I are joined by Peter, the enigmatic Harlequin of WadNews.net. Hello, all. Hey, Peter. So ever since uh, Darker Days began, we've always stated that the World of Darkness online game would be a focal point of the show. Yeah. And it still is. Uh, but I think Mark and I both realized that it's been a bit of a redheaded stepchild on the show. It took something like five minutes to get through everything we could find in the, in the first time we brought it up. And we've, we've barely, barely doubled that since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so White Wolf's been tight-lipped about the game so far, and we've been you, re- you really have to be pretty methodical to find new details about the games. And this is where Peter and WadNews.net come in. Uh, we've entered into kind of a partnership to bring listeners all the coolest content about World of Darkness Online. And you'll see this segment frequently in upcoming Darker Days episodes whenever there is groundbreaking news or we have something very specific to discuss about World of Darkness video games. So without further ado, let's let Peter talk a bit about his geek cred and what wadnews.net is all about. Wow, geek cred. That puts a lot of pressure on me. Okay. Yeah, it's big time, man. <laughs> it is. It is. The pressure is on Harl right now. Uh, well, welcome. I want to thank everyone, uh, and I want, certainly want to thank uh, uh, you two uh, for giving me this opportunity. I definitely look forward to this partnership. WOD News, or actually this is the first time I've heard it called WOD News. That's interesting. Uh, you just started a new trend, I think. Yeah, you uh, heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, WODnews.net. Uh, it sounds a little uh, general. A lot of people actually come here looking for a generic, also all vampire, werewolf, uh, such news. But actually, uh, the MMO is actually just simply called World of Darkness. And originally, they started off with World of Darkness Online, and last summer, the online got dropped. So oh. now it's just simply World of Darkness, World of Darkness, and which I think is going to actually probably cause some confusion going down the road, because as we all know, World of Darkness is the umbrella term used for the whole universe, and now they're using it specifically for the MMO, too. So I think that's going to be a little confusion. But nonetheless, that's why it's called WODnews.net. Uh, essentially, we're trying to be. I'm trying to create a hub where people who are looking to network with other like-minded players. Uh, specifically, it's going to be very role-player centric, uh, very role-player friendly. As for myself, I created uh, NWN2News.net. Uh, this was a Neverwinter Nights 2 uh, news and community site. Very similar concept to what I'm doing here with WOD News. Uh, it, I ran it for three and a half years. It was the um, uh, most uh, high-traffic, non-commercial uh, site for Neverwinter Nights 2. Um, and I uh, really helped network and bring together a lot of uh, server administrators, players, and really uh, got a lot of exclusive news uh, for the community. I really enjoyed doing that. And when I heard the vampire MMO, the little rumors, uh, shall we say, in the a couple of years ago, uh, I decided this was absolutely something I wanted to get into, being a big Vampire Masquerade fan. At the time, I really wasn't sure if they were going uh, Masquerade or Requiem, but either case, I definitely wanted to get on board, and so I uh, created the site, and I'm hoping to do with 
this site, what I did with NWN2news.net is to uh, bring the community an exclusive focused site where they can get all their news. Um, we're not a convoluted site where we're trying to do this on top of all sorts of different aspects. We're specifically geared to the MMO. And that's where our focus and our primary mission will always lie. As I said previously, uh, we have a very uh, interesting and uh, unique system. Uh, we have a, actually a profile system that works very, very similar to Facebook. Uh, you can have, have friends list, you can have your own personal gallery, you can post your own personal blogs on your wall, um, you, know, you can post all other different types of media like videos and MP3s, uh, for example, game sessions and such. Um, and uh, so it's a, it's a very organic way to network, meet other like-minded people, create guilds, uh, create... Uh, you know, create your own fan page for certain aspects of the game. As more details come about, I'm sure gills and certain types of player types are going to emerge. And uh, so I, I really I really think and I'm really hoping that the community, community takes hold of this, grabs it, takes a ball and runs with it and see what they can do with it. Uh, as I said, I'm just essentially trying to create a uh, focal point and then hopefully the community grabs it and runs with it and does what they can with it. Um, and as I and as I also mentioned previously, we're real. I'm really a big role player. Uh, I've been role playing since the early '80s. Redbox D and D. I'm sure. Nice. Uh, Outstanding. Yes, yes. Yes. And then uh, let's see. Blue box basic set. I'm mm. sorry. Redbox basic set. Blue box uh, expert set. The companion set was tan, I believe, and then the master green. set was, it was green, 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 green. and the black <laughs> masters, black masters, yep. and then yep. the gold was the immortal set. Yes, That's right. Yeah. Okay, four out of five isn't bad. Four out of That's five. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, and I, you know, I jumped all over, uh, as most I think most of the people listening to this podcast uh, have done. I've done everything from Stalking the Night Fantastic to Shadowrun to the FASA uh, Star Trek RPG, the mm. TSR Marvel role-playing game, um, uh, Palladium. I don't know why no one ever talks about Palladium anymore, but I thought that was a really amazing uh D like role-playing system palladium fantasy yes yes yeah that's that's called its adherence it has to be said yeah right i, I really i really think it's underrated and was really overlooked uh sort of mm. like the stalking the night fantastic game i really yeah. felt for a you know a kind of x-files like role-playing game which essentially it was x-files before x-files came about yeah, uh, exactly. which I, yeah, exactly. You know, whenever when I first actually saw the first season of X Files, I really thought one of those writers have had to pick up. <laughs> I, I really did. I, I it just baffled me how because you know you got the the secret you know the the, the little buried covert little uh, branch of government in this case a branch of the FBI but you know same basic concept yeah. uh, going out and you know find look have all these paranormal things you sent to investigate. It's, it's a very, very similar concept. Uh, I, uh, believe it or not, actually, a few years back, actually online, bumped into the, uh, I forget his name at this point because it's been so long, but I actually bumped into the creator of that game. Uh, oh, fun. 
nice little email exchange. And he's like, yeah, we're still around. You know, he, he goes, uh, actually, uh, I'm actually working on the next revision of uh, Stock of the Night Fantastic, actually. So uh, I actually uh, Googled him a few months back, and actually they're still around. So it's, 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 oh, cool. if someone's looking for an X-File-like RPG. Uh, <laughs> wow. um, so so where, where is the MMO at at the moment? I mean, how far along is, is it in development? Do you know? Well, yes. Uh, well, little pieces of information have come down. Uh, what we do know is the MMO went into full production uh, about a year uh, about a year ago. Uh, it was uh, last uh, March uh, of last year. Uh, they actually right. it went pre-production to uh, full production. Uh, pre-production for those people not in the development biz. Uh, basically, pre-production is when you're gathering all your notes. You're doing some mock-up coding just to kind of get presenting a few different types of frameworks you want, some very skeletal coding. Um, you are working on your concept art, various different types to, to choose one type to go with. Um, that's You're writing up your design document, the, the what you want in the game, what you don't want in the game, hashing out your ideas and that kind of thing. When you go into full production, then you finally more or less narrow down what you want in the game, what you don't want in the game. And then you actually start the actual detail coding. Uh, you have a much more focused roadmap of where you're at and where, where, what the end result kind of game you want to be. Is. Right. It, things, it's a, the, uh, the software development field is always a dynamic, not a static thing. That is why, uh, and this is this is actually we're going to get to the uh, when we're talking about the info lockdown this is partly one of the reasons and this is one of the reasons pretty much almost every developer does this they really don't get deep deep details onto what's going to be in the game and what's not simply because what well, they might be they might have the best concept for a feature right now and it, it is this groundbreaking revolutionary this is the best thing since sliced uh sliced bread but Six months down the road, they may say, you know what, we just don't have the time for this feature, so we got to yank it, and may, may, you know, maybe we'll push it down to an expansion pack or such. Right, right. However, if you announce that, you know, if they came out today and say, hey, we got this new great feature, and this is what it is, and everyone gets all worked up in a tizzy about it, and then six months they say, sorry, our bad, it's not going to be in, the amount of nerd rage they would endure would be mm. essentially, like mm. I always like to say, putting out nerd rage is essentially trying to fight a forest fire with a squirt bottle. You just can't, it's just not going to happen. So like rather a, than, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that it could destroy the internet, but then I decided not to, <laughs> yeah. but now, now you've made me say it. So yeah. <laughs> I could just imagine the hate email I'm going to get after this. However, <laughs> however, uh, but you, you see what I'm saying. It, 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 it's, mm. They just, you know, and I've seen this happen on message. I've seen these people, I've seen developers say, hey, this is going to be in the game. Everyone gets worked up at a tizzy. It's the best thing since sliced bread. You know, everyone's around campfires singing Kumbaya. And then down the road, uh, they just realize they don't have the zots uh, for it. And they realize, you know, I'm sorry, it's not, you know, maybe in an expansion or maybe as an, a free add on down the road. Well, that doesn't quell the anger, and it just turns into a huge PR nightmare. So that's that's basically the reason a lot of uh, developers, and specifically when we're coming to uh, CCP and White Wolf right now, 
why they are are why this info lockdown is there. They they do not want to go through that. And I also think they're kind of playing off. I give them credit for this. I think they're playing off the whole vampire society secrecy thing. You know, yeah. they're just releasing a little bit of, and they're playing they're playing off that whole thing. You know, uh, because it, even at this point, a lot of, some developers would be given maybe a one or two screenshots by this point, or yeah. maybe a little bit of game mechanics information. You know, maybe not a lot, not a lot. Again, not a lot to. You know, something that they definitely know is going to be in. There's zero chance it's going to be cut. So, they again, they won't walk into that whole landmine of announcing something and then having to pull it and then enduring all the uh, anger for it and all the uh, Internet rage for it. But right. but but so I, I think that I think they're playing off that. The danger, I say, and I, I posted this on my site, the danger of this is when you don't have a baseline of expectations because you're being so secretive, then those expectations can get wildly out of control. So when when you do present the product, the expectations bar has been set so high because you never set a bar that people might get disappointed. And that's the real that's the real issue going this route that uh, White Wolf's going. Right. But I mean, that said, there has been a there's, you know, there's been a surprising, surprisingly large amount of information. I, mean, I was over at your site this afternoon looking at there's a thread that summarizes um, most of Justin Achilles comments from yes. uh, Masquerade last year. And that's mm-hmm. a, that's a massive list of stuff there that uh, that has, you know, that has come out over, I guess, either over the course of the previous months or or was just released at Masquerade. Right. Um, and I was surprised, uh, you know, quite excited by a number of the things that I read. So, uh, Peter, if I could just jump in here. Absolutely. Um, so the fans are, they have their own wild expectations. And what are some of the expectations that you've seen on your website? I mean, you've got very active forums. You've got a lot of, a lot of activity going on. So what are people saying? What are people expecting? Well, um, they're the two biggest things right now, um, well, actually, there's, Two and a half, I'll say. The, the third one's kind of, depending, uh, ver- various different forms are talking about it. But the two biggest things right now that uh, Universal, that's uh, the fans are expecting, uh, they there's a big argument or discussion, depending on how your point of view, uh, whether they are going the one server Eve route or they're going multiple servers slash shards route. Uh, that's one of the big things being discussed right now. My personal view because uh, what a lot of people don't realize about how the game's actually being broken up between CCP and White Wolf. CCP is handling the engine and the back-end development of the MMO. Hmm. White Wolf is working on the game mechanics writing of the MMO. So because CCP, the maker, creator of EVE, is working on the back end, the engine, the client, uh, the graphics engine, Icarna, uh, and uh, you know the, the server software and, and that, the, the, the very back end technical aspect. Because their experience is with the one server, if I was a betting man, I'd probably say they're going to stick with what they know. And I prob- uh, just because of that, if White Wolf was developed in the back end, then I'd say it's probably a coin toss. But because the makers of EVE, are, are, you know, make, you know, working on that aspect of the MMO. If, again, if I was a betting man, I'd definitely say that it's going to go the one server EVE route and not the multiple server route. 
And because of some of the comments made at the Grand Masquerade, where, again, they didn't really come out and say exactly, but they implied that they're, you know, that it's going, you know, there's, it's probably going to be open PvP, perhaps some asylum areas where, you know, PvP isn't allowed, but basically it's going to be, uh, they kind of implied when it comes to combat, it's going to be survival of the fittest. Um, yeah, the impression I got there, there's, there's a comment that you're, you're going to have the ability to flag yourself for PvP allowability. Right. So I guess you, you'll, you'll have a toggle that you can turn on going, you know, I'm, I can be PvP killed or not or what have you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And so, like I said, because of they're doing it that route, it really implies to me, again, he's, he, uh, you know, they're going to go the Eve route and CCP is going to, again, stick with what they know and go the one, one, uh, one server route. Um, PVP again is a big discussion. Um, a lot of people do have concerns about how the PVP is going to work. If you do flag yourself for P PVP, a lot of people uh, are, are concerned that they don't really like, as role players, the what is expected when it comes to combat versus just someone who's essentially playing in a spreadsheet MMO like Eve. No offense to Eve, but let's be honest. It's basically an Excel spreadsheet that's been turned into an MMO. Yep, let's just yep. be honest about it. And I, <laughs> I don't say that in a derogatory way. I, 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 I mean, Eve has, I uh, believe the last time I read about it, had 300,000 active subscribers. Clearly, there's a lot of interest in playing a spreadsheet MMO. So I'm certainly not dissing those 300,000 people. However, those people playing in space, essentially, as I said, uh, doing some very uh, trading and mining and all that, they, and, and having space battles, their concept and their goal and their interest in the game, I think is going to be a much different segment of the MMO population as a whole than the ones who play... Uh, dark, gothic, secretive vampire MMO. And I think there's a lot, the ones who play Eve, there's a lot more slack of fighting and dying than there is going to be the kind of mindset and the role, probably a lot of role players who are going to play a vampire MMO. And it's going to be almost apples and oranges. I think the Eve players are going to have Again, like I said, a lot more leniency and a lot more open-mindedness. Oh, you know, Bob just blew me up in my ship. Oh, that really sucks for me. Okay, I guess I got to go, you know, start all over again. Whereas in The Vampire, it looks like they're going for some sort of final death. Um, again, if I was a betting man, I think there is going to be some kind of final death mechanic. And if that's the case, then it's again, it's going to be a lot different than mm -hmm. having your ship blown up, having go, getting in your escape pod, going back to spaceport, buying another ship, or getting one of your other ships out of mothballs and going back out again. Versus if you die in a PvP, and however they do the 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 final death mechanic, whether it's X amount of deaths and then you're permanently dead, or it's a one-time deal, whatever the case. Again, the severity is apples and oranges. And I think, I'm sure they realize that. I am sure uh, White Wolf is, is not 
overlooking the severity of the situation, but I think the players are, the, 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 as I said, a different level of expectations. And when it comes to PvP and Final Death, I, I think that's a very serious issue, and I think it do, does deserve a lot of debate, which there is a lot of debate all across, uh, just not on my forums, but other forums I've seen. It's a lot of concern that if we are going to do PvP, and it's pretty much going to be an open world, if you flag yourself, then, you know, one way or the other, then that's what you, you are. And, okay, so be it, but what are the repercussions? And on the flip side, what are the rewards? And that, that's really something that, you know, we really don't have any answers to. Uh, but the way they're talking, I, again, if I was a betting man, I'm definitely in the camp there's going to be some level of final death. And having a vampire MMO based on the masquerade, more or less, I, I just don't see how they can't do that. I, I don't. No, it has to be in the game. It does. I, I don't see it. I just, yeah, I, I don't see any realistic way where anyone will, any masquerade or requiem or White Wolf slash World of Darkness fan as a whole will take the MMO seriously if I just press a button, I respawn, and I can just, you know, go about my merry way. I, you know, endlessly, like, you know, a, a WoW or an Ultima Online or Age of Conan or whatever the case may be, you know, kind of system. I, I just don't see how the game hmm. will be taken realistically if there is no penalty for your kindred to die, like Final Death. I just don't see it. Now, if you've got a horror game, then death has to be a, a, a present threat, I think. I agree. Yeah. So so PvP, uh, the possibility of final death, um, single server versus multi-server, these, the, these are the main issues that are, are, uh, are getting the discussion at the moment, you reckon? Yeah, absolutely. And the two uh, ones that uh, are kind of going spurts, uh, day-night cycle, there's a lot of mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. concerned yeah. about that. Um, they feel, well, if I roll a... Uh, a kindred and not a kind, then if it's daytime, if there's a amount of daytime, then, you know, what in blue hell am I going to do if yeah. I can't go outside? Uh, I mean, there are ways, I think that, I, I, I think that people are getting a little too, too wrapped up in this. I think any good game developer can certainly find ways. Uh, there can be sewer missions. There can give. There can be uh, opportunities for the socialization, the role play aspect of the game, uh, indoors. Uh, you know, so I, I think uh, you know. I, I, I'm not too concerned about that. I, I think if they do do go with the day night cycle, and also a lot of people are concerned. Oh, you know, well it's going to be nighttime for 12 hours. Like, and my my reply to that is, it doesn't have to be a one to one ratio. Just like in mm. a lot of computer role playing games. An entire day-night cycle takes place in about a two-hour, a real two-hour time period, you know. So just because you know what what the game time is in game doesn't necessarily have to always equate to what the real time is. So you can have, or and you can have a different. You can have ninety percent night and ten percent day. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, they 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 addressed it a long time ago in in uh, in the Ars Magica game. Where you had you'd create a mage character in that, and you'd also create a number of his mortal servants and followers, and you'd alternate depending on who you'd play each session, you know. So you can certainly address that in a vampire game, where maybe during the daytime you play your vampire's ghouls or his, you know, his mortal allies or followers. But yeah, like you say, there's any number of ways you can address that issue. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and these people are not—they're not inexperienced when it well, comes. They know to what they're games, doing. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> They're not inexperienced at all. And, uh, you know, 
while yes, the medium is different from writing a pen and paper RPG to a digital medium, obviously there are some significant differences you got to take into account. But as a whole, writing game mechanics is writing game mechanics. Medium irrelevant. And these people have a tremendous amount of experience under their belt. So the last thing I'm worried about is is them making some really poor choices on that level. Yeah. Good. Well, I think uh, we've heard quite a bit from you, Peter. And um, why, don't, why don't we all talk about what we're really excited about with these games? Um, Mark, do you want to start? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take the obvious one right out off the bat. I mean, as an old World of Darkness player, I'm excited about the fact that it's based in old World of Darkness intellectual properties to a certain degree. The fact that it's, you know, Vampire the Masquerade with the best elements cherry-picked from, from Requiem, of course, but I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, reading through some of the stuff that's that's been released uh, over at... Uh, wad news um you'll see references there to other supernatural creatures and there being a set limit on supernatural creatures so that of course gets me excited thinking that it's not just gonna you know be limited to vampires over time we might see guru or even mages cropping up that would just be fantastic um looking at some more specific details um there was a mention that the the character that you play is not just going to be dropped tabula rasa into the world. Um, there'll be random backgrounds and connections to the world and hooks into world participation. Uh, I find I think as as making that part of your starting character creation process, I think is a great idea. Um, that you get backgrounds generated or contacts or allies generated, and then these exist in the world as NPCs who you can you know, go and visit and see and, and call upon. And uh, as I mentioned just now, the, the finite numbers of the supernatural creature types, I think that's a good idea, um, more because of what it suggests about the larger game world. Um, and I saw a note that you'll be able to play members of the Sabbat, which is just, you know, cool. awesome in, in a tin. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and also a note that it's going to stay true to the adult content of the world of darkness, including blood, gore, darkness, and tits, uh, which is just, you know, just, just doesn't get any better than that, does it? Nope doesn't (laughs) (laughs) all right so um the things that i'm excited about they've mentioned that there's going to be multiple tiers of gameplay there's going to be lounge gameplay there's going to be sandbox gameplay and there's going to be amusement park basically and what those three mean is a lounge is um anyone that played like vampire the masquerade redemption that that uh vampire the masquerade game from 2000 uh they'll remember that the most popular map on the uh, on the multiplayer games was just this three rooms where you would walk around talk maybe the uh, storyteller would put in some something for you to fight but it's mostly just a, a lounge to chill in um and that kind of social aspect i think would be very interesting i'm interested to see how they'll work the amusement park that's referring to a almost war uh world of warcraft style of gameplay where you can like do quests and the like. Um, if they can make that something similar to Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, that other video game, where there's like some interesting single-player quests for you to do, that could be good. Perhaps when you're waiting for mm-hmm. other people to get online, you can do that. And the sandbox gameplay, well, I haven't heard many details on that, but that could be really interesting. Uh, I would like to see, with the overall structure of this game, if they have one server... If they had different cities that you were placed in, for example, Boston, New York City, uh, Los Angeles, out over there, and maybe they'd have like the same overall map for the city, so you wouldn't get lost if you traveled to a different one, but uh, they might have like certain landmarks and the like. That could be really cool, and being able to influence these real-world cities could really enhance the game. 
having something that feeds you know that feeds back your player actions into the game world would really make it come alive as a as a vibrant world of darkness setting i think absolutely absolutely uh, it would i'm really going to be surprised if they don't have any real world cities in the game i, I i'd actually be shocked i'd actually be shocked I, I, I totally agree with both your points. Uh, those are more or less exactly what I was uh, looking for. Partly, again, um, you know, you might love it, you might hate it, you might be indifferent to it, but I think ma the Masquerade setting is the setting they should have picked uh, for the most part. And a lot mm -hmm. of people are saying, well, there's a, you know, the rules aren't as good as Requiem, this and that. Well, all they said is the setting, the back, the behind-the-scenes mechanics can be very requiem-ish, um, and I yeah. think that's what's going to happen. I think yeah, I on agree. the surface, I think on the surface, you're going to see, you know, uh, the masquerade, Terramurla, the Sabah, so on and so forth. The the the, the, the those two factions, you're battling it out. Perhaps some neutrals in there uh, for kicks, uh, and, and I think that's going to be the big, the big dynamic of the MMO. However. I think a lot of the I think a lot of the game mechanics under the hood, they're probably going to borrow a fair amount from the brick game. And 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 that's uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I as an old school guy, I gotta say, I kind of like the whole concept of generation. However, I understand that might not work very well uh, in a digital format. That, that mechanic, and so blood pot it wouldn't surprise me if blood potency, you know, becomes the the you know one of the main stats of your character on that level. Blood potency and generation are not too hard to interchange either, so I think I think we'll find some uh, some fairly happy middle ground there. I agree, you know, with your your kind of analysis there that we'd probably see more requiem style mechanics under the hood and uh, and masquerade as the um, as, as the default setting. But then I think masquerade's a good choice because the old world of darkness in general was more of a shared setting experience, you know, because it had Canaan, uh, because it had Metaplot. Right, um, right. Whereas New World of Darkness has a much more toolbox approach. And so any given New World of Darkness game is more likely to differ from one table to the next simply because, you know, one guy might be using the Lancia Sanctum and the other guy might not have them in his game, but he's changed the Circle of the Crone into something else, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Because uh, it really, you know, it encourages that out of the gate. Um, whereas I think Masquerade lends itself more to a shared world experience simply because there is all, you know, however many years it was, however many years it was, 13 years of setting lore accumulated. And I think they've got a lot more uh, shared experience that they can draw on. So, yeah, I think that'll be, uh, it'll be fun to see. Absolutely. And I really think the whole meta, meta plot concept, just to follow up on what you said there, um, I think it kind of gets a bad rap. Uh, yes, toward the end, probably was a bit convoluted. Uh, it was a little hard, but on the flip side, the number one rule of role-playing, use what you want and ignore what you don't. Exactly. And, and so, you know, they can take the best parts of the meta plot, put it in the MMO, and the rest can end up end up in the recycle bit. So, yeah, totally. uh, yeah and so on that level, I, I, I feel pretty good. I, I, I definitely think they should... The overall meta plot, uh, the, the core of it, you know, the take, you know, as I always like to say, save the fluff for the peanut butter. You know, cut away all the fluff, just get the core mm. backstory, the core meta plot, and put that in the MMO. I think that'll add a lot of flavor. I think that'll add a lot of intrigue. 
and definitely set up for uh, some very interesting storytelling. Do you think the game's going to be able to compete with uh, things like Eve or World of Warcraft? I mean, you know, that's like saying who can compete with the Beatles. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, like I was alluding to earlier, uh, I think the player worst business decision they could make is go after a group of people that are already purchasing one of their MMOs. It makes right. absolutely no sense for yeah. them to put out an MMO that would gut their Eve subscriptions. It just makes no sense. And I think I think that's why you're going to get an apples and oranges kind of game. You're going to uh, the vampire MMO is going to cater to and be focused to a totally different set of players versus what Eve attracts and what uh, and what uh, the type of players Eve grabs onto. And I, and so I, you know, a lot someone was uh, I was actually having a dis- debate on another forum with someone about this very topic. And they were, you know, they were saying, "Oh, you know, what, what kind of players from Eve, uh, you know, if they so, so was arguing about some game mechanic I can't even remember about now, but they're saying if they do that, you know, the, the Eve players won't migrate over. And my response was, they don't want the Eve players to migrate over. They do not want to gut Eve in this process. They What they no. want to do is bring in a whole different sect of players and add to their subscription rates, not divide one group of subscription rates into two different, two different MMOs, because that makes no sense for them business-wise whatsoever. Well, it's part of what made Vampire the Masquerade a big hit back in 91 uh, when it first came out was that, you know, it tapped into an existing player base, but it also attracted a whole bunch of people who'd never tried role playing at all before under any system. Um, and I think if, if World of Darkness, the, uh, the MMO, can manage a similar feat, it'll, it'll, it'll be in good shape. Because like you say, you don't want to attract the EVE players because they're, okay, they're your, your customer base, which will just be cannibalizing. But there's no need to, to chase the, the kind of people who want to play World of Warcraft. And what I'm reading you know, here, what's the kind of information that's been collected on, uh, on the Ward News site, um, is that it really looks like they have identified... Uh, fans of the vampire genre and fans of socially minded gaming Um, uh, uh, and they're building a game around that niche so they're identifying a certain type of 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 target audience and building a game that they hope is going to attract this kind of people i mean if if they're going to take players away from anywhere i'd I'd almost suggest that it's going to be from places like second life oh absolutely absolutely i mean uh and i i will say uh back in the late 90s early uh early 2000s i actually ran uh, uh, at the time it was the most popular uh vampire role-playing irc room and then i actually uh a few years after that i actually got into the whole vampire role-playing scene on second life and those two communities uh believe it or not there's still a lot of people who do our irc role-playing even to this day and there's a huge community involved in second life uh Partly due to the big, uh, all the new TV shows and serials and such dealing with vampires, you know, um, it's a, obviously a big push and anything vampire is pretty much hot nowadays. But uh, the, some creators actually created some vampire masquerade kind of HUDs and combat systems that you can actually attach to your second life character and make them into a quote-unquote vampire and you can go around biting other people making them oh, into cool. vampires and yeah it, it, it's like this whole it's the, the typical pyramid scheme 
it's really interesting. Uh, so, and, and that's, and uh, last time I was in Second Life was about a year and a half ago. Uh, but when I left, uh, that was, those, those kind of systems were just burning hot. And there was a huge vampire role-playing community there. And I totally agree. I think catering to some of these IRC players who are very dedicated, they're very good role players, most of them. Same thing with a lot of the Second Life uh, vampire uh, community role players. Uh, that's, uh, many of them are very, very good. And I think catering to them and bringing them on board, uh, I, I, I just can't see any downturn to that i i think uh no pun intended it'll bring a lot of fresh blood into the uh wod community um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh i i you know i i think it'll give us a shot in the arm that we really need and i i think grabbing people from all these different other related communities uh i I, I, again, I, I think it'll be good. It'll make us dynamic. It'll make us large, and I, I think it can only there are only upsides to that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think White Wolf have shown, CCP have shown a surprising amount of, of savvy in the last few years. You know, they've identified that they've got to get off the supplement treadmill as far as the role-playing games goes, transitioning to uh, to print-on-demand um, and PDF-only products, and now this move, moving their IP almost entirely online here. Um, yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's a bold move, but uh, sooner rather than later, I think it's the way the industry is going. Well, exactly. And it's funny, a few weeks ago, I found a quote. Um, I don't have it with me right now, uh, but it was on their site. But anyway, uh, someone was uh, someone was posting one of the one of the uh, White Wolf folks and they were saying we're trying to actually one of the main keys for this uh, site change was to get away from trying to set to just make it a commercial buy our product site and more yeah. social interactive site. And that was one of their main goals. Um, I think the jury's still out, quite honestly, mainly because when I go into their forums, the pure white just burns my eyes out of my sockets. <laughs> yep. But uh, I, I think there's definitely a little tweaking need to be happening. But I, I, I respect that was one of their goals. And I, I, I think once they make some of these tweaks and, you know, make it so, uh, again, my eyes don't burn out of my skull, I think more, for the most part, it's mission accomplished. Excellent. Yeah, I like the site. I mean, you know, there's nothing that uh, the ability to change your skin couldn't, uh, couldn't hurt. Um, but, you know, it's clearly growing, but I like what I see so far. Yeah, it's nice. It's, 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 uh, it's crisp. It's functional. It's good. Great. Well, Lost Heretic, where are you? What? Hey, you. what's up? <laughs> i was actually just about to uh, say all right guys i think that's enough we've had 40 minutes for a uh 20 minute discussion i know yeah yeah well you can edit, edit out the, the bit about the star trek role-playing game <laughs> <laughs> all right very good well peter thanks for coming on to the show and we'll definitely have you on for another segment i appreciate it guys uh thank uh, both of you very much and i'm uh, definitely looking forward to being back uh hopefully with some uh, cool new information soon Outstanding. Great. So anybody who wants to find out more information about the uh, World of Darkness, uh, I'll say online, but just about the World of Darkness MMO, should just uh, head on over to uh, wodnews.net, wodnews.net, and you'll find all the information gathered together there. Active set of forums, uh, useful FAQ, and um, uh, more information than you can uh, shake a dead caitiff at. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much, and um, hope hopefully uh, we'll see some new uh, peeps uh, pop in my forums. 
Well, that was a very interesting interview. And um, yeah, thanks, Peter. Thing, indeed. One thing I really want to highlight in this is that uh, White Wolf is going to be handling the, the, the game mechanics, the story aspects, the style, the art, and all of that. And CCP is uh, taking care of a lot of the technical aspects, the servers and all of that as well as, as handling other things. And I think that uh, it puts a lot of people at ease about this whole MMO uh, concept because it really is going to be a White Wolf game and it's really going to mm. be their interpretation of Vampire. Yeah. That sounds that sounds absolutely awesome. I mean, to literally leave the IP in the hands of the people that made it and they're augmented by, this, by another group who you can deal with just the technical aspects. It's, um, it, they really, it they really know a, the business too, yeah. Yeah, it leaves a level of purity to the game and, you know, the people that are going to tweak the game and make adjustments for the online environment are the people that made the game. So they go, you know, that rule wasn't was great on tabletop but doesn't quite work in an online environment. You know when they say that they mean it because they're the guys that have played it for, you know, decades literally mm-hmm. yeah definitely and it's it's clear that the, that they really are having their you know their top men on the job uh, every now and then you'll see a post from uh, one of the white wall staffers and they'll they'll mention oh i'm i'm doing a lot of work on the on the mmo at the moment and uh, so yeah they've they've uh, definitely left it in the hands of the right people as far as the ip goes and in the right hands of the uh, the right people as far as the technical side goes you know uh, eve online is um is a hugely popular and successful game, uh, and, you know, with good reason. Yep. And I was kind of thinking about this the other day, and uh, EVE Online really, it's grown to be so popular because of the emergent behavior uh, related to all the, the social dynamics. And White Wolf has already created their their kind of uh, behavior in their game through their LARPs. And I think it's no surprise that they're, uh, they've taken the Grand Masquerade, the, the old Camarilla convention, and made that into their big place to announce things about both their role-playing games and this new MMO. Yeah, yeah mm. definitely. Yeah, I think uh, I was really pleased to see that it's being handled by uh, by CCP uh, because, as you say, the social aspect of EVE is what is what makes it really interesting for me. And Vampire is a game that is, in no small part, about... <laughs> the social interactions between the uh, between the supernatural creatures of the night so uh, i think it's a a match made in um uh well heaven really or more so much <laughs> yeah but a match anyway <laughs> yeah i mean it, i think that's the great thing i mean um a friend of mine uh is actually in or well, i've got i think a few of my friends are actually in the games industry and we talk about where ccp's going and with with uh World of darkness online and we always come back to because we're we're they're gamers, they, they're involved in playtesting or doing the art for it, and, you know, we do tabletop roleplay, and we always come back to the idea that it's got to focus on this emergent social structures that occurring tabletop and occurring LARPs and within an online environment could be so powerful in their own right, regardless of the, the game mechanics that are there. Because you only have to look at how, you know, people turn to EVE online and go, well, we can look at, you know, the dynamics of... of how things are bought and sell, sold, you know, yeah. and that's 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 amazing in its own right. That that Eve is this wonderful environment to look at uh, economics, and so I guess I'm hoping I'm hoping Vampire is going to be this wonderful environment to look at how 
kind of a social economics works. Whether mm-hmm. that social yeah. economics is going to be the, the buying and trading of blood mm-hmm. is another thing. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yep, indeed. So I guess that's, uh, that's it for this show. Uh, of course, as I mentioned before, episode 25 <laughs> is going to be this outstanding interview with Sam Chupp. And uh, as I said, we've already recorded it. And wow, he reveals some, some really cool things about White Wolf in its early days and some great insight into... Uh, the games that he's helped out with, which is uh, actually all of the original Almost storytelling games. Almost all of games. them, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, I enjoyed that so much during the interview, hearing one of the guys, you know, he's one of the first handful of people in White Wolf and hearing the old war stories from, you know, back in the day, in addition to getting the an insight into why certain decisions were made about certain games and how the development of these iconic games grew over the years. Uh, well worth checking out, Well, whatever version of the World of Darkness you play. Fantastic <laughs> interview and a fantastic guest. So, as usual, uh, you can check out Darker Days on Facebook.com slash Darker Days. Uh, we, of course, have some discussion about the episodes, current White Wolf news. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to be painting up some uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse miniatures and Vampire the Masquerade miniatures, and we'll put little photos <laughs> up for that. Oh, cool. So jealous. I'm so jealous. I have no time to paint toy soldiers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for a living for at one point. But, yeah, it'd be cool to see some painted miniatures. Um... Which White Wolf miniatures are these? I can't. I've tried to look online for them, and it's like to see the 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 lead. And um, uh, uh, what miniatures are they of? They're uh, they're Ralpartha miniatures that came out. Yeah. Um, let's see, which ones did I order? I got the Malkavians, Gangrel, uh, Vampire Hunters. Actually, like Hunters Hunted, kind of Vampire Hunters. Those are pretty cool. And then some uh, some Werewolf ones, uh, Black Spiral Dancers, uh, Silver Fangs. So That's completely badass. Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> and of course, uh, we've got uh, twitter.com slash darker days radio. I guess if I'm going to say this right now, if uh, if 20 people join before episode 25 hits the airwaves, I will do passive storytelling and I'll try to make it funny as I go through and I'll tweet. If, uh, if 50 people join, I'll post up a picture of me with the pink Barbie mic. Oh, wow. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> done, done it now. <laughs> and then, uh, Mark, what's our email address? Radio at gmail.com. Very cool. That's it for this episode. So long, everyone. Signing off. Take care, guys. Adios. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and ma- major props for the uh, the Star Trek, the phase of Star Trek game too. And that was a oh classic. yes, you know um, the thing about the Star. Not sorry, we're getting on a little tangent here, but the thing about the Star Trek RPG, I really found, uh, I really really enjoyed the char- the the character creation aspect. I thought it was pretty good, but what it's they a mini game, yeah, right. But what they got to a T, a nail, and they really emulated well was the starship combat aspect of it. Um, you know, you had things like Starfleet Battles, but they just, it's this big convoluted um, 
mess of rules. And, and I mean, you look at you yep. look at a, yep. a stat sheet of a ship, and it's like, oh my god, I got to be a mechanical engineer to figure out what's going on. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's just this huge, convoluted, overly complex thing that actually isn't very Star Trek like because they put missiles in the ship, you know, and they have all this other stuff they just, which is fine if that's what you're into, but it really delved way too far from the canon as far as I was concerned. Well, the phase, the, the, yeah, the phase, well, the phase version, you know, where you're kind of allocating resources to phases and then diverting them to shields and the exactly. whole kind of thing. I mean, it captures it, the feel a bit much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, you could have a ship to ship battle that, um, you know, you, you didn't have to buy a um, scientific calculator for to have a simple little battle. You know, yeah. um, you know, it was a ten-sided dice that 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 did everything in the whole game system. Whether you're dealing with characters or ship battles, um, you know, the, the whole ship battle. I mean, I believe the book to explain how to do a bo uh, battle was forty or fifty pages, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it was detailed enough where it gave you that feel, but it didn't bog you down in, you know, page page nineteen, paragraph three, subsection nine, sentence two C, the rule says this, you know, which which is what kinda how I felt Starfleet battles went. Uh, I tried to get into it and you know Literally, I played this one game where it took almost an hour for one turn. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to be here for the next 19 hours with this one <laughs> ship battle. This is just this is just totally insane. And, you know, not trying to not trying to beat up the war gamers. I mean, you know, all the power to them. If that, if that works for you, all the power to you. But it just wasn't my cup of tea. And so I really had a lot of respect for what FASA did. Uh, with the Star Trek role-playing game. Uh, and I'm really sorry FASA closed their doors, too. Um, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. I'm not, See, now, I'm not... And now we, now we need to find a segue from, from, from Starship Battles by FASA back to, to World oh, of yeah. It's, it's going to be kind of tricky. I don't know. Yes, pull, yes. Pull one out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, with Star Trek, you explore strange new worlds. And getting and back so back to the world of darkness. <laughs> could potentially be one of the worlds they they uh, go to you never you know the galaxy is a big place the galaxy there, there was a star trek adventure in uh, one of the digital web books for mage has to be said yeah so really yeah wow 